Greetings, everyone. This is Brian Stanford coming at you from Asheville, North Carolina with Modern Gnostic Episode 14, Esoteric Patriotism. It's been a long time. Uh, this episode's uh, been a long time coming out. I explain in the beginning why that's the case. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, stay tuned. It's a long one, but hopefully a good one. Thanks for listening. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Gnostic Podcast. This is episode number 14. I'm Brian Stanford, and I'm coming at you tonight from Asheville, North Carolina. It's been quite a while since I've recorded a podcast. I think episode number 13 came out over two months ago, maybe even three months ago. And as anyone who is not just returned from outer space knows, Things have turned upside down in the world, um, in, in my country, the United States, um, and we are living in very uncertain and interesting times right now. Um, I have been wanting to record a podcast uh, for the last few weeks, but quite honestly, I have found myself hesitating and not really knowing how to move forward with making an episode. I've been struggling with whether or not to record. I will sit down and make notes and think of what I want to say and try to map things out. And then I find my my thinking becoming muddled. I find myself getting frustrated. I find myself doubting my voice. And then the other night, I was talking to a dear friend and mentor of mine uh, who will go unnamed on the podcast, but he knows who he is. Uh, And he told me, he said, wow, you know, I really regret that your podcast isn't coming out regularly. I, I was really enjoying listening to that. And he was talking to me about starting his own podcast. And I found myself giving him the advice that I always give people in regards to doing these kinds of things. And that, that advice has always been, you know what, just get your phone out and hit record and then publish the damn thing before you have time to think about it. And I sat and thought about that and I realized that I wasn't following my own advice and I decided that within the next two days, I was going to sit down, I was going to open up the app and I was going to hit record and just go for it. And that's what I'm doing right now. So what was I struggling about? Why haven't I made an episode? Most of the modern Gnostic episodes have been um, talking about, you know, my interest in spirituality, uh, talking to different friends and their interest in spirituality and the way um, modern Gnosticism infuses and influences my search and what I even think modern Gnosticism means. Um, I feel like it's been a really interesting podcast. It's been lighthearted. It's been filled with curiosity and open-ended interest. And I just can't record that kind of episode right now. And the episode that I want to record and the thing that I am recording right now is a response to what I see as a deepening and accelerating crisis in my culture in the United States. I'm 47 years old, and I feel like I can say with 
no exaggeration and no hyperbole that I have never felt that our republic was in the degree of danger that it is in now. We've kind of had a one-two punch and we're rocked back on our heels and quite close to falling on the mat. The first thing that happened, as everybody knows, is coronavirus. We were hit with the coronavirus. We didn't really know what it was, what the impact of it was going to be. And if we're honest with ourselves, we still don't know exactly what it is, exactly how it spreads, how dangerous it is, or what the toll is going to be. The vast majority of the country went into lockdown. The economy came dangerously close to crashing. And quite honestly, friends, it might have crashed. Um, one of the things that I thought about is, if you think of the dinosaurs when the asteroidal impact happened on the Earth, I imagine that there were creatures that were really close to where the impact occurred and they were probably wiped out instantaneously. And then there were creatures on the other side of the planet who had been wiped out. They were dead, even though they were walking. They didn't know it. They didn't know that the, their world-ending event had occurred. It took a while for the ripple to get to them. And I still find myself worrying that that could be the case economically with the coronavirus. Honestly, I don't think we have even begun to feel the economic consequences of shutting the economy down. A lot of people are out of work. A lot of businesses are ended and are not coming back. A lot of businesses will end in the next weeks, days, hours from this and not return. Many people, many people are only surviving because they're getting unemployment benefits. There are many people still waiting to get those unemployment benefits. And I don't know how they've been surviving. I'm one of the lucky ones. I have uh, a job that's deemed essential. I've worked the whole time. But I don't think that's the norm. I think many people have been left without income. And through the coronavirus, I, I hear people, when people express the idea of needing to get back to work, to needing to get businesses open, and people kind of glibly say something like, well, you're putting you know, money above lives. And I think people who say this aren't realizing that the reality of the situation is that money is life. You have to have money to eat. You have to have money to have a place to live. You have to have money to survive. Not just in the United States, all over the world. So people need to get back to work. Businesses need to open. That's kind of happening. Now we're, we're seeing the virus, we're seeing it spread and the numbers rise again. And who knows, we might be on the verge of further shutdowns. So that's the first punch, the coronavirus punch. And I don't really have much to say about the coronavirus. I never went to college. I barely graduated high school. 
in certain ways, I am a, a very educated man because I've educated myself. I've read, I love to read, I love to learn about things. But I know nothing about science. I don't know how viruses work. I don't know how they spread. Um, I have a hard time with math and understanding statistics. So I can look at the numbers and I, and I can't make heads or tails of it. I don't know what to do in regards to coronavirus. I wear a mask when I go out. My mask, I'm mandated at my job to wear a mask. Now I'm mandated in my state to wear a mask if I'm out at businesses. And I'm absolutely fine with that. I don't know the science enough to know how efficacious masks are. I have no idea. I don't really care because I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But I wear a mask because I feel like it's important for human beings to have proactive things to do in a crisis situation. Things that don't make them feel like victims. And wearing a mask is a way that people can feel some safety in getting back out of their houses. And I know this, if we want to keep businesses open, and we want to keep going to work, and we want to keep the economy moving in some manner, the only way that that seems it's going to be possible right now is to wear a mask. So I wear a mask, I, so, I try to socially distance, I wash my hands, and I do things that I don't hear anyone talking about. I take care of myself, I eat good food, I take supplements, I get plenty of vitamin D, I work out, I get good sleep, I take care of my body, I'm not overweight, I, I do things proactively to try to bolster up my health. And I do this all the time, and I do it especially during this time. And this is something everyone should be doing. If you're listening to my voice from this podcast and you are concerned about COVID, I really think the most proactive thing you can do is to take care of your body. If you are an overweight person, now is the moment to turn that around. Now is the moment to take that into your hands. Exercise control over your body and get yourself into good shape and health. One thing that we know about the coronavirus is that it is particularly deadly to people who are suffering from obesity, people who are suffering from pre-existing conditions like high blood pressure and hypertension, and these things are within our control. Wear your mask, eat good food, take supplements, work out. These are the things you can do to try to protect yourself. But I'm not going to talk too much about coronavirus because, like I said, I don't, I don't understand the science. I'm ignorant of it, and therefore my opinion about corona I don't even have an opinion about coronavirus because my ignorance about it is so deep that it would, it would be ridiculous for me to form an opinion about it. The second punch that is rocking our culture right now is the mass protests that are going on um, in the wake of the horrible and brutal police killing of George Floyd. I, like any other civilized person who saw that video, was horrified. What happened to that man is a gross crime. There is no way that what happened to him is justifiable. There is no way that 
the behavior of not only the police who held that man down as he died, but the police who stood and watched as he was killed. There is no justification for that behavior. And we should all be deeply disturbed and concerned about that kind of action. And in the wake of that, as you know, there have been going on now, I think, close to a month of daily, nightly protests in the streets. And the killing of George Floyd has become the spearhead for what I think is the second punch that we're reeling under, and that is the attempt at uh, social destabilization and revolution that we see happening in our streets right now. This is the thing that I want to talk about and that I have been, um, quite frankly, I've been afraid to talk about it. Uh, I have a tiny voice. There's maybe a hundred people that will listen to this podcast. But in today's climate, I have genuine concerns that I could express ideas in this podcast that could have negative repercussions in my life in regards to my livelihood, my social circles. And this is part of the second punch. What I want to talk about, what I'm hitting record to talk about, um, that I'm, I'm struggling over the past weeks and months. And quite frankly, I've, I've seen this punch coming for at least five years. And for that entire time, I, I struggle for the words of how to talk about, um, how to properly name what is happening. Part of the modern Gnostic tradition involves ceremonial magic. And if if, um, any of my listeners, and I'm sure many of my listeners, are not only familiar with ceremonial magic, but are actually practitioners of ceremonial magic, it is one of the core practices of the Western esoteric tradition. And I think one of the core aspects of ceremonial magic, not just in the West, but all over the world, is that in order to gain power over something, you have to be able to name it. And I've been struggling for years to name this attack on the roots of our culture. And I'm going to do my best in the next 15 or 20 minutes to try to flesh out my ideas. I don't know if I'll come to a name uh, for it tonight. I'll probably have to record 10 more episodes trying to talk about this. It is my belief based on my understanding of American history that despite all of the flaws and all of the ways in which uh, the government of the United States has acted in oppressive ways and has, has struggled with things like slavery and the legacy of slavery and the reverberations 
in culture today from the legacies of slavery. It is my belief that the founders of the United States were guided by fundamentally good, true, transcendental truths about humankind. I believe that the founders of our country were guided by the traditions of Hermeticism, the Rosicrucian tradition, the Masonic tradition, and the traditions of esoteric Christianity to attempt to form the most perfect state, the most perfect experiment in human government that had ever occurred. Did they achieve it? Absolutely not. Did Thomas Jefferson own slaves? Yes. Did George Washington own slaves? Yes. Did many of the founders of the country own slaves? Absolutely. Was this wrong? Yes. Was it wrong at the time? Yes. Were there people who knew it was wrong at the time? Absolutely. One of the arguments I often hear in uh, defense of people like Thomas Jefferson was that they are men of their time. And to a great degree, that is true. But we cannot ignore the fact that there were people at the time of Thomas Jefferson, there were people in this country at the time of Thomas Jefferson who knew that the institution of slavery was immoral. It was immoral to the core. Nevertheless, men like Thomas Jefferson came up with or acted as a conduit for the transmission of an idea that is so radical and that is so counter to the natural evolution of animals, <laughs> uh, of which humans are arguably animals, that it, it, it staggers the mind. The idea that all people are equal and are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. This is the foundation of the American Republic. And of course, we did not live up to that in 1776. And let's be honest, friends, we haven't lived up to it in 2020. It doesn't make the principle not true. We do not need to scrap that idea. That idea is rooted in a profound transcendental truth that we talk about a lot here on Modern Gnostic, that you are not your body. That which is looking through your eyes and hearing through your ears at this very moment is a spark of the divine. It is a transcendent, you are a transcendent, immortal being. 
You are not a white person. You are not a black person. You are not a Latino person or an Asian person. You are not a man. You are not a woman. You are not gay. You are not trans. You are not straight. You are eternal spirit soul. You are the equal of every single human being on the planet. And every single human being on the planet is equal to you. Our bodies are a vehicle. This is the founding principle of the Republic of the United States. This is the founding principle of our economic system. That we are individuals, free, sovereign, divine, interacting with each other on an equal level playing field. We have never achieved this. We did not have it in 1776. We did not have it in 1876 or 1976 or 2020. It doesn't invalidate the principle. I feel like what I'm seeing and what I have been seeing for at least the last five years is an attack on this principle. Some people call this identity politics. I think that that's a pretty good word to use for um, something that's pushing this agenda. I think there are aspects of it that have echoes of Maoism. And in the last few weeks, I've, I've described what I'm seeing in the streets as the attempt at a Maoist revolution. And another good friend of mine, who I will not name in the podcast, but he knows who he is, argued with me and said, Brian, I, I, I really doubt that there are very many conscious Maoists, you know, out in the protests right now. And undoubtedly, he's correct. There are conscious Maoists out there, though, and, and I would argue that there's some conscious Maoists out there at the lead of things that are going on. But what I'm saying when I say that is that there are principles at work that we saw in Maoist China, that we saw in Nazi Germany, that we saw in the Soviet Union, that we've seen all throughout history. This is why I say that the, the, the root ideas at the foundation of our republic are so unique and strange. They are, they are not, um, we're like, we're, we're fish swimming in water. We don't realize we're surrounded by water. We take it for granted, this thing that all men are created equal. We take it for granted that that's the starting point of human culture. Friends, that is not the starting point of human culture. The starting point of human culture is tribes. The default 
of human cultures is me and my tribe in competition with you and your tribe. What we're seeing, what I think we see in organizations like the Black Black Lives Matter movement is a conscious attempt to break this hermetic principle of the divinity of the individual in favor of the tyranny of the collective. This is one of the hot button things that I'm nervous to talk about because of course black lives matter. Of course the lives of black people matter. They matter just as much as the lives of any other people. And in our country right now, in despite the fact that I firmly believe we have made incredible strides in creating and attempting to create an equal playing field for all men and women, we have not achieved that. And all you have to do is look at statistics for uh, for poverty, for crime, for health, um, for any anything that you want to look at to see the ways in which black people, black men and women, black-bodied spirit souls are being failed horribly in our, in our country, and, and we desperately need to do better. So of course black lives matter. If you, if you don't see that black lives matter, you are in the preschool of the spiritual path. Like maybe you haven't even gotten to the preschool of the spiritual path. So of course black lives matter. But the black lives matter organized movement is in my opinion not a good direction to go in. And the reason is is because they are attempting to push a way of valuing people on immutable characteristics like race. When you see things like concepts like whiteness, which is something you rarely heard about if you weren't at a liberal arts school even nine months ago, but you can see talked about on CNN any day this week. Concepts like the concept of whiteness, the way it is used in the social justice revolutionary left, spearheaded by by organizations like Black Lives Matter, spearheaded by white organizers like the author of White Fragility, spearheaded by academics, spearheaded by activists, this idea of whiteness, that there is some intrinsic sin of being white. There is some way that no matter what a white-skinned person does, attempts to do, no matter how they live their lives, 
they have the seed and sin of racism inside them. This is an idea that will turn our culture upside down. Just like the idea that a white racist might hold that a black person has certain characteristics based solely on the fact that they're a black person. Those ideas turn the founding principles of our republic on their head. Identity politics is poison to the spirit of our culture. We have to drop this nonsense yesterday. It appears to me that it's becoming a more and more common view. I think it's called polylogism, I think is the, is the name of the concept. And it comes from a Marxist philosopher, I think from the 1900s. I'm sorry I don't have his name in my notes. Um, but you can look up polylogism. And it's this idea that certain racial groups or classes in the Marxist sense, in the original Marxist sense, certain classes have a certain consciousness. So if you study the Chinese Revolution, if you study the original Russian Revolution, there was this idea that the bourgeois class had a class consciousness that transcended the intentions of the individual. So if you know, someone was a middle-class person who had the best intentions of, of the world, wanted to help working-class people, wanted to uplift working-class people. None of that individual intention mattered. What mattered was that they were a member of the bourgeois class and they had bourgeois class consciousness. This idea led to the literal death of hundreds of millions of people. The ideas of polylogism, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it, I, I, like I said before, I never went to college, I barely finished high school. Um, the ideas of polylogism are so poisonous and every place in the world that they take hold leads to nothing but tyranny and death. This idea was prevalent in Nazi Germany. According to the Nazis, it didn't matter the character of, of a Jewish person. If an individual, an individual Jewish person could be a German patriot, they, an individual Jewish person could have, been a, could have agreed with national socialist economics and politics. It didn't matter. The individual didn't matter. What mattered was that they were a Jew, that they were a member of that class of people. In the Cambodian Revolution, the Khmer Rouge, year zero, if you don't know what year zero is, I want you to stop this podcast, Google year zero, and read about it. And then think about some of the things you've been seeing um, in the news and in American universities. Year Zero was an attempt to turn society on its head. Year Zero was an attempt to take all of the members of the bourgeois class, regardless 
of their individual characteristics, beliefs, ideas, and put them on the bottom of society so that you could take the um, agrarian classes, regardless of their individual ideas, and put them on the top of society. Just like any other place this is tried, it led to a horror show of millions of deaths. The fundamental, transcendental truth, the hermetic, Rosicrucian, Masonic, Gnostic truth that lays at the foundation of the American Republic is that you do not belong to a class of people. You do not belong to a race of people. You are an individual. What you think as an individual, what you do as an individual, what you dream and desire as an individual is the most important thing. Not who you are as a class, not who you are as a race, who you are as an individual. One of the things that is so disturbing about the current climate in America is the, um, the way that political street violence is becoming the norm. I feel like at least in every major city and in quite a few major cities over and over again, what we are seeing with increasing frequency is far left groups like Antifa, anti-racist action, black bloc groups are openly fighting and clashing in the street with far-right groups like the Proud Boys, like different neo-Nazi organizations. And this kind of political violence, even though it looks small to us, you know, everybody that I, I talk, well, not everybody, a lot of people are starting to wake up, but many people that I try to have this conversation with, they're like, Brian, what are you worrying about? This is a tiny fraction of people doing this. That doesn't matter. A tiny, study revolutions. Revolutions never start as mass movements. Hell, they're very rarely ever mass movements. They are movements, um, they are broad social shifts and upheavals that are caused by tiny percentages of the population who are willing to act violently, radically, continuously. And we are seeing this ratchet up in our country. And the thing that these two groups that we currently see clashing in our streets, the far right and the far left, the two things that they have absolutely in common is that they both think that the fundamental thing that matters about human beings is their class or their race. They all lose the thread of the individual. A far-left anarchist or a communist out dressed in black, smashing windows in Seattle, if you sit down and talk to them, 
They will tell you that the problems in our country are based on the fact that the bourgeoisie or the millionaire class or the rich class, whatever it is, whatever group that they have decided is the problem, that this group needs to be overthrown, needs to be put in their place, needs to be deposed from power. And this idea has filtered deeply into mainstream political discourse. Think about how you have heard mainstream Democrat candidates, mainstream media sources echo things like no billionaire should be involved in politics. Billionaires can't be good people. There is something inherently morally wrong with rich people. Think about how common that has come, become. That idea is anathema to the founding principle of our republic. It is anathema to spiritual truth. In the same way, if you find someone in the National Socialist Workers Party who's out fighting against people uh, in the streets of Portland, who's, who's beating people up and smashing things, and you sit them down and you ask them, what's the problem with the country? They'll tell you the problem with the country is the black people or the Jews or the brown people. It's some other group, right? It's not individuals. It's some other group. Those people are the problem. They're the ones that need to be deposed. They need to be kicked out of the country or overthrown or whatever. It's the exact same ideology. <clears throat> it's dressed up a little bit differently. If you think of a horseshoe, right? A horseshoe at the ends, this is the left and the right. Well, what happens as the horseshoe bends? They both start to meet, right? And they meet around this point. They do not know the truth of the sovereignty and divinity of the individual. They have lost the thread on that. They have reverted to the default human condition that what we ultimately are is tribes and that what ultimately matters is tribal loyalty. Maybe my tribal loyalty is the working class. Maybe my tribal loyalty is the white race. Maybe my tribal loyalty is black people. If that's the way you think, you've lost the thread, my friend. And our republic cannot survive the mainstreaming of this kind of thinking. <clears throat> and the mainstreaming of this kind of thinking is occurring. And it might seem like it's occurring in small ways. I'm going to mention two of them for you. <clears throat> Oregon just passed a law mandating the wearing of masks in public, right? Many states have done this. My state of North Carolina recently did it. Um, it's happening in a lot of places. The difference is in Oregon, this applies to everyone except black people. 
the Oregon law around masks says that the wearing of masks does not apply to black people who potentially fear racial profiling by the police. We can understand the fear of racial profiling. I can understand the intentions of lawmakers who decide to do something like this. And at the same time, it is diametrically opposed to the direction that we want to go in this country to make a group of laws that only applies to people of a certain skin color. It is flabbergasting that this is not uh, just obvious. I'm sorry, I was wrong. This is not all of Oregon. It's in a county, Lincoln County in Oregon. So that seems like a small thing. It seems like a small thing. Perhaps it's easy to dismiss. But think about this. In 2020, a law was just made in a county, in a city, in a state of the United States of America where a law applies to someone or someone is exempt from a law based on the color of their skin. <clears throat> the second example that I want to give you comes from California. And the California legislator voted to strike from their state constitution the concept that uh, well, I'll just read it to you. This is what they're striking from the Constitution. Constitution used to read, The state shall not discriminate against or grant preferential treatment to any individual or group on the basis of race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin in the operation of public employment, public education, or public contracting. And just recently the legislature for the state of California. Forgive me if I get this wrong, guys. Like I said, barely finished high school. I think California might be the largest state in the union. <laughs> it's California or Texas, right? Um, so one of the largest states in the union just voted to remove the article from their constitution that says the state shall not discriminate against people or give preferential treatment to people based on race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin. Think about that. Think about what that means. Think about what is being removed, what we are losing when that happens. So there are two examples. Maybe they seem like small examples. Again, I would encourage you, if you're interested in these things, to study the history of revolutions. I've recently been immersing myself in studying modern civil wars because I think that's kind of where we're at if we're not already there. Part of me thinks that in about 10 years from now, when people are writing histories of this time, they will recognize that 
right now was when the Civil War was already going on. We just didn't realize it was going on because we think of Civil War in this outmoded way. You know, we think about the first American Civil War where there were two, two clearly defined sides fighting each other over this clearly defined purpose. But some scholars of war and civil war say that what we should be thinking about is things uh, like what has happened recently in the Ukraine or what has happened in Syria. There's a great podcast called It Could Happen Here, the second American civil war that I highly recommend. It's about 10 episodes. It's well worth the listen. It's a much smarter man than myself goes deeply into this point. But his point was that... um, no one, when, when things finally tip and it becomes completely evident to everyone that they are in the midst of a civil war, no one expected that point when that point happened. No one saw it coming. It can happen fast. One of the things my father, my father is a history teacher and a sociologist, and I can remember very vividly when I was a young man and my father telling me, he told it to me a couple of times, you know, he said, when you're living in the midst of an empire, it's hard to conceive of it ever ending. And I think living in the midst of the American Republic, perhaps it's hard for us to see how fast we are losing the fundamental principles So I'm almost out of time. We're at 45 minutes right now. I don't want to go more than an hour. So I want to leave you with this. Like I said, I've been thinking about this stuff for about five years. And I haven't figured out how to name the thing. And I, we've been talking about it together now for 45 minutes. And I still am no closer to naming the thing. But I think I have a name for the remedy. Or at least I have a way that I think about what I think of as the remedy for this thing. And what I call it is esoteric patriotism. What does that mean? For me, what it means is that I recognize that the founding documents of this country, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and a lot of the writings of the founders of our country, even flawed as they were, writings of men like Thomas Jefferson, express a deep, hermetic, Gnostic truth that is our best hope to sail through the rough seas that we are experiencing at the moment. I would encourage you to dive into and dig into studying these things. I'm going to recommend a book for everybody. It's uh, by one of my favorite modern Gnostics, uh, Bishop Stefan Heller. His last name is spelled H-O-E-L-L-E-R. And the book is called Freedom, Alchemy for a Voluntary Society. And in this book, Bishop Heller deeply details the hermetic roots of our country. I would recommend that you get this book, that you dive into this book, that you get a a sense of how profound the founding principles of our republic are and how it needs people like you right now 
to get a hold of these ideas, to spread these ideas, to attempt to have the courage to have these conversations that could potentially be dangerous for you. Now is the time for esoteric patriots to awaken, to stand up, to become vocal, to become seen. We need to get these ideas out into the culture. We need to create a spiritual vaccine for this virus of collectivism, this virus of identity politics and wokeness that we are, we are suffering under. So I thank you for listening. Um, if you, as always, I, I love to talk to people. I would love to have conversations with you about this. If you vehemently disagree with me, I would love to hear from you. If you completely agree with me, I would love to hear from you. If you want to talk about it, debate about it, engage about it, I would love to hear from you. You can find me on social media. You can find the Modern Gnostic Podcast Facebook page. And I encourage you to reach out. And I encourage you to grasp, hold the spiritual principles of esoteric patriotism and the the spiritual truths that lay at the heart of our culture, at the heart of our republic, that have never been fully manifested. But that we need now more than ever to fully manifest. So I promise you guys I'll be back next week with another episode, probably kicking on this topic some more. Uh, Thanks for listening. As always, thanks for listening. Uh, If you found this podcast to be of benefit, Please feel free to share it on any platform. Um, Let your friends know about it. uh, Talk about it. And uh, please reach out and get in contact with me if you'd like to talk. And as always, you know, I, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit moves in your life and that God orders his angels to spread their wings of protection over you and your family and that you're all doing well and flourishing despite the hard times that we're going through. Uh, It is through these kinds of alchemical fire that we can transmute our lead into gold. So don't lose faith, take heart, and continue to seek the mysteries.